Welcome to another episode of the Floro Podcast. I am Edgar Otra Vez, and today on the show we have a very special guest, Jiu-Jitsu Black Belt, John Lawrence, owner and head instructor of Hurricane Jiu-Jitsu out in Cleveland, Ohio. And the subject matter for today will be Jiu-Jitsu rule sets and kind of finding something that makes sense in terms of keeping Jiu-Jitsu as a martial art and less of a sport. Now, if you like more of this kind of stuff, make sure you head on over to our website, theflowrollpodcast.com. There you'll find a complete catalog of all our episodes, but also I have put up a category on the website that puts together all the episodes having to do with Jiu-Jitsu. I'm going to do a little bit more of that. Uh, as time goes by but of course you know it's kind of tough to make time for all these things uh, I have ideas for the site if you go there now and you just want to listen to Jiu-Jitsu podcast episodes you will find that on the homepage it's one of the three callouts at the very top you land on the homepage and boom there you have it also we have a store you can buy some merchandise and in doing so you're going to continue to support this podcast so we go in deep on Jiu-Jitsu talk I love the stuff I, I, I love hearing more so we get in deep on the jujitsu talk. I hope you guys like this episode. I have fun talking to John, as always. I hope you like it. Now, on with the show. All right, so uh, welcome to another episode of the Floral Podcast. I am Edgar Traves, and today on the show, we have John Lawrence, jujitsu black belt and owner of Hurricane Jiu-Jitsu and head instructor. Welcome back, John. It's good to be back, man. Love hey. talking to you. Awesome, man. I'm glad I'm glad you came back uh, so soon, too. I, I, I enjoy your talks. One of the things you wanted to talk about this time was you wanted to talk about rule sets a little bit. And so what are what are one of the things that you wanted to start with? Well, maybe maybe I'll start by asking you a very simple yes or no question. Um, would you would you agree or disagree? Just yes or no. That it, just the fact that it seems like nobody's ever really been. As far as long as we've been training, nobody's ever really been ultimately satisfied with the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu rule set, whether that's like IBJJF or, you know, uh, I mean, there's always there's always been like some discontent. Yeah, right? there, there, I absolutely. I don't think uh, I don't think people have uh, really liked any of the rule sets, which is why we have such you know so many different versions. We have all the EBI rules. We have combat Jiu-Jitsu. We have we have metamories at one point. All these different rules and stuff, and yeah, I, I can see your face. Your face is like you're like fuck all that shit. <laughs> your face is like ah. <laughs> yeah. So I just don't. I don't think that. Um, I think it's probably best to start at the beginning, which in my eyes for jujitsu was the birth of the UFC. Jujitsu didn't popularize MMA. MMA made jujitsu popular. So you you have that first UFC where. And you can talk about how set up it was, but where Horace Gracie basically goes in and smokes everybody. Yeah. And people are going, what is this, what is this guy doing? He's just grabbing people and squeezing them. And they're like, they're quitting. What? You know, they don't <laughs> understand. And so jujitsu gets, you know, slowly but steadily popularized from, from that point. And my worry with really most rule sets that exist these days is that I, I still, being a school owner, I still notice that most people are brought to jujitsu because of MMA or because of some peripheral connection to MMA. So I'll get, I basically get people come and want to train based on one of four sources, Joe Rogan, mm. Jocko, then there's obviously UFC fans 
And then uh, there's a there's a third uh, podcast I can't I can't quite place right now, but yeah, it's like so. Let's just say like Rogan, Jocko, and the UFC. All right, okay. now um, I'm not saying that I'm a fan of everything that Rogan and Jocko do. I'm not, but those guys sell memberships at my school in the craziest way. I mean, most most guys who come in, they're like, you know, I was listening to Jocko. He says try jujitsu. I was listening to Rogan. He said try jujitsu. Or, you know, I watched Charles Oliveira strangle this dude in the UFC. I thought I would try jujitsu. Yeah. And that, and I, obviously, I want jujitsu to be around both from a business standpoint and then a cultural standpoint, uh, just because it's, it's a really cool sport, really cool martial art. But I feel like jujitsu right now is very much in danger of going the way of point karate, taekwondo, based on, based on what I'm seeing in the evolution of the rule set. And so I guess that's what does, – does that need any clarification or is that point clear? No, no, that, that point is very clear. And I, and I don't know how you escape that because there's been – there was a time where MMA fighters would go out, win a fight, and then get their black belt, you know? And then it's just like, okay, sure. well, that's that's great, you know, that's – but it's like uh, you see those guys on the mat and sometimes you, you think like, whoa, you know, he's a black belt, but his jiu-jitsu is, you know, it's like maybe purple belt level, you know? Like he, he may have gotten that belt because he won the fight. Sure, it's MMA, and he used his jujitsu skills to a certain extent. But you know, it's another it's another angle from which jujitsu can get watered down, right? It's just like uh, you don't you don't want it to come become like a McDojo deal, you know, because there's that threat as well. I agree, and I want to be clear because I think sometimes what happens is you'll get older black belts who sort of age out of they age out of jujitsu in terms of like what they can do with their students. And then it's like a sour grapes scenario where they're like, well, I don't like all this new school stuff. Uh, I don't, you know, this, this wouldn't, it always turns into like, this wouldn't work in a fight. And I think, I think a lot of those complaints come from a place of ego rather mm -hmm. than a place of like, I feel like I've got a very clear, I've got a very clear understanding of what I think is wrong and why I think it's wrong. It's not just like, the new 25 year old purple belt keeps getting, keeps bowling to my back in the gym. Yeah. I mean, that, that to be clear, that is happening. And I'm glad that I have students who can do that, but it's not why I want to see the rules change. I want to see the rules change because I think in maybe over the course of the next decade, jujitsu in mixed martial arts and by extension with Joe Rogan and Jocko could become totally irrelevant because Rogan and Jocko only have credibility because of their to the UFC or the, their connection to combat, if that makes sense. Um, and I, I think if, I think if jujitsu keeps going the way that it's going, purely in terms of the rules, I think you're going to see it really get even. It's going to be less relevant in MMA than it is today. When you watch fights with friends, you will hear people say, like, you know, you just don't see as much jujitsu anymore. You don't see as many submissions anymore. Like, what's you know what's going on? And I I think there's some good reasons behind that. So um, you make a lot of good points. I'm not I, sure I did. I don't know. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. But no, but like uh, the the point that you made about uh, there, there, it, there's there's a weird place that we're in, right? Jiu-Jitsu has so much ability in terms of progress. There's so many things. Like people keep coming up with new moves, right? Yeah, so there's so yeah. much growth possibility there. And for Jiu-Jitsu instructor to be stuck in the same place because they've, like you said, aged out of jujitsu or whatever, and they don't want to learn any of the new school stuff. That's not a place that you go to for growth. You know, that's jujitsu is going to get antiquated. There's always going to be moves that are going to continue to work, right? But there's going to be new stuff that you got to learn 
in order in order to like defend. If you've never seen a beating bolo, I think we said this before. If you've never seen a beating bolo and you can't defend against it, that's a problem, right? But also like there's going to be new stuff made. How can you come up with new techniques to stay in the spirit of of what we're talking about here in terms of like keeping true to I, I guess the self defense roots is that what we're trying to uh, yeah. stick to. I think it's pretty simple. I think you could make some maybe not so obvious rule changes, but for me, it doesn't come down to techniques. It comes down to incentives. What jujitsu athletes are incentivized to do. Like I, I still want jujitsu competitions to exist. I love jujitsu competitions and I, I don't want to compete in MMA because I'm just too soft for that, man. Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to get punched in the face, you know, but I, but yeah. I, I do, I do love the competitive spirit of a good jujitsu super fight or a good jujitsu tournament. And I don't want that to go away. So I think what you need to do is you need to change the incentives uh, that the athletes have rather than like focusing, like we can't solve it now at an instructor level. Like I can't, because I could force or convince everyone at my school to do the type of jujitsu that I want, but I have students who want to compete and travel and do jujitsu at other places. And I want them to have the relevant skill sets. So the incentive structure needs to change from the top. And so maybe just as an, as an opening topic, um, I'll give you my, I told you before the podcast, I've started writing like a loose rule set that I think would help over the course of many years, take jujitsu back toward its MMA roots, but still make it so it can be a fun competitive sport as it stands by itself. You know, the first thing that I would propose is that people are not allowed to pull guard without penalty. And I'm talking about a real penalty. So, so my thought is you award two points for whoever gains first top position. I don't care how it happens. Uh, the person is still allowed to pull guard if they're that confident in their guard, but you're going to be at a two point deficit. I think this is going to incentivize people to obviously like work their takedowns harder, but it's also going to incentivize people to, if they pull guard, have a truly assertive guard where they're not just going to pull and sort of burn X amount of minutes off the clock. And we can talk about the, the match times in a little bit as well, but they're going to pull guard and they're going to have a very clear idea of what they want to do once they pull because they're down two points already. Yeah. And then as that translates to what I care about a lot to MMA, obviously being on top in MMA is better. You know, yeah. you could, you could, you could have a debate about jitsu. Is it better to be on the bottom or be on top? It sort of depends. Also athletes are competing against each other, but in MMA, it's just plain better to be on top because you can punch the other person in the head. So, so my first, my first uh, proposed rule change, two points for first top position. I don't care how it happens. Oh, so you don't care how it happens. I was going to ask a clarifying question in, in that respect too, because uh, I believe in IBGGF, if you pull guard in such a way, if they touch your leg, the other guy Correct. gets, yeah, you get two points. That's yeah, so considered a takedown. Yeah. yeah. So let's say that you, you and I are having a match and as you're going to pull guard, my fingertips touch your knee. That's two for me. Yeah. And it's because, you know, they don't want me to pick up a single leg and then have you fake pull guard to avoid being taken down. So they've built that rule. But again, like with the rule I'm proposing, like it's a non-issue. It could be a real takedown or it could be a guard pull or whatever, but I don't care how you got on top or how you got on the bottom. After three seconds of stabilization, the person on top is awarded two points. 
Okay. That's one thing I'd like to see. Now, the pushback I've had on this, and I've had plenty, is well, you're just going to see a bunch of people stalling out from the feet. Like you're just going to see a bunch of people, you know, like doing some some really shitty gi wrestling, basically. Yeah. And I would say I would say that's a possible danger. It's a possible but but necessary evil. But I also think you need to you need to let the sport like evolve for a little bit and kind of see kind of see how it looks because this I think it's necessary and I think it's important. And I also really believe that two points is a big deal to a lot of these athletes. Um, and takedowns are important to the point where I when I first wrote this, I've since walked it back, but I had three points for a first top position. Mm. instead of two. So conceivably you could take the person down, get swept and still be winning the match. You know what I mean? Yeah. What do you think about in terms of like uh, the constant takedowns, the the repeated takedowns? So they, they take you down, you get two points, you stand up. So you get yeah. DQ'd there or what do you, what yeah, would you, you propose? So that's, so again, like I just look at how it relates to MMA. Like, would you want to take somebody down and then let them back up? So you could, so you could take them down again and score more. No, of course not. Like it's the incentive it's the incentive issue again. Like my incentive is to take you down and keep you on the bottom so I can punch you in the face. Yeah. That's, that's the incentive. So, and in jujitsu, they don't like, they don't, you can't do that now. You can't yeah. take people down and let them up. Now you could take somebody down and like, let them get up. But if they stay seated, then disengaging is, uh, is penalized. Okay. Good up for the person on top. So, you know, do I think it's perfect? I no, I don't. I see the point where people would say that you're going to see some sort of garbage wrestling. Mm. But in some of these like 30 minute, 40 minute submission only matches, these guys are still shooting for takedowns because they want to be on top and they want to score in the eyes of the judges. And some of this will get ironed out later on when I tell you about some of the other rule sets that I kind of like and that I kind of don't like. I, I so agree I with that statement that you said that you need a little time. You, th you throw that out there, you, you let it soak a little bit, you let people yeah. kind of figure it out. Nobody wants to be... A boring fighter right so i mean the mm. i would like to think that the incentive at least for me like i wouldn't want anybody booing me because you know i'm stalling you know nobody nobody wants to be that guy at least most people don't two points for first top position uh -huh. um if we're talking about a tournament rule set where there's points and i i am a fan of points for for reasons we can we can talk about but yeah i think that's that's one simple change where if you institute that I think the jujitsu athletes you see in MMA in 10 years are going to look totally different as opposed to the jujitsu athlete might put out now, you know, these guys who go to IBJJF tournaments and they don't have a takedown to their name. We are not going to funnel these athletes in MMA. You know, what does it mean for MMA, which is the sport that feeds us so many students and so many athletes? We'll see. I'm worried about it. So, so you got two points for takedown. What would be the next uh, set for, of rules? For, for first top position, to be clear. First top position. Yeah. So like, so like, so like if you pull, I still get two. Okay. Yeah. So, so like if, if you manage to get up, to get up again, like for whatever reason, the bottom guy stands up or however, and you shoot again, you still get two points, right? You get it would be, two yeah, points. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so for maybe first top position and then subsequently second, third and fourth top position. Okay. But yeah, anything I would, I would change that to say anything initiated from the feet where I end up on top and you end up on the bottom, no matter how crazy the scramble, whatever. I mean, that's my two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's really nice and simple. It's simple. And then you don't get into these weird situations where the ref has to like figure out 
if there was a pull or if somebody should have gotten the advantage for almost grabbing the back in that scramble or this or that, it's just two straight up. Yeah. So it makes the refing easier as well. Do you have advantages in your rule system that you're talking about? Um, I would say, like, if you put a gun to my head and said, decide now, I would say no advantages. I'm kind of agnostic about that. I mean, I think, let's just say no. Let's keep it simple and say no for now. Yeah. I, I've never understood the advantages. Uh, yeah. It's uh, it's always been kind of like a fuzzy deal for me. It's just like, I won because of an advantage. What? It's it's subjective. It's I mean, it's basically like helping the referee score a referee's decision. That's basically what they're doing. Okay. You know what I mean? Like that, that that's how I've always looked at it. It's like if it's if there are no points and it's too close to call, the ref at least has like track of near movements on the board so they can make like an informed referee's decision. That's how I've always looked at it. Okay. You know. Yeah, that's uh oh, again, conceptually makes it easier to kind of think about when it comes to you know, scoring these things, but it's again, it's gameable. You see some some sort of garbage uh, wins based on advantages sometimes, like where there's one guy who's clearly, clearly just the better grappler, but out of circumstance, the other person has that advantage and they kind of hold on to the end. That, yeah. that it does ha it does happen. Yeah, yeah. So so what are the next uh, set of points? So like uh, side um, control. Like, yeah. Um, so I think I think the other one that some organizations have half right is I would like to see two points. I mean, honestly, two points minimum for any strong submission attempt. Okay. Now, of course you get into an area of subjectivity here, but I think, I think, you know what I'm talking about. So let's say that, you know, I, I mount, I go into the spider web position and then I straighten my opponent's arm out completely mm. the point to where they have to initiate an intelligent defense. So they, they hitchhike out and then they come on top of my closed guard. At minimum, I should score two points for that because mm. I, I almost ended the bench, you know? Yeah. Um, and if and anybody who would try to argue against that, you would have to tell me why you get two points for popping up to me on the belly for three seconds but you don't get two points for having somebody in a dead to right submission that they escape. Yeah. I like that because it's uh, similar to the uh, folk style wrestling uh, rule set, because if you pin somebody and you show the back to the mat, you get, what is it? Two points or something. And then you get, <clears throat> you get another point when you get, when you actually uh, score the pin or whatever, mm. but like he gives a count, right? So like you you expose the back and he throws, I think like a three count. I forget any, I forget it, but like, it's similar sure. to that respect. It's like you made a legit attempt at submitting the guy and he's, you know, he's skilled enough to get out. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I think that's a great idea because you could have a match where it's just, the guy is just attempting. He's just throwing these, these submissions on, but then he ends up in a compromised position or maybe not a compromised position, but not right. like, for example, the example that you gave, he's on, he's on top. He goes, he, he pulls for that. He goes for that arm bar. And when he leans back, the guy ends up, you know, in his guard. Now he's not on top anymore, but yeah. he att he made a legit attempt that, you know, uh, yep. yeah. In a real fight, if you want to think about it in a real fight, if you did a legit attempt and the guy wormed out of it, his arm's going to hurt a little bit, you know, especially yeah. if you really got it good and he just was strong and, and pulled it, pulled out or whatever. Sometimes they hyperextend. There's damage there, you know? Uh, yeah, I, I, I like that. Two points. Absolutely. Makes sense. Absolutely. Potential for damage, but, but again, for me, it, it all comes back to, to incentives. 
we want to incentivize people to really sharpen their submission skills. And with the current rule set, actually, Naga's got this right. I do believe that Naga will award you points for strong submission attempts. I'm almost positive about that. They do change their rules from time to time, so I'm not sure that's current, but I know for sure that they were doing that for a while. I mean, when I get my athletes ready for a competition in the sort of camp leading up to it, uh, I obviously want people to get submissions. Uh, we, we have a very good submission rate when we go to competitions, but a lot of the prep is based around scoring and based around just being positionally wise. And so the incentive for me to like teach everybody how to throw up a triangle or an arm lock from the closed guard two weeks leading up to the competition is not there because not only do you not score for it, but if you fuck it up, you're going to get scored on. Right. Yeah. So I think like, if you say, you know, say really beef it up, let's say three points for a strong submission, you know, then you're in the closed guard position. Maybe you're, maybe it's a tie score. You're not sure who's going to win the decision. And you go, you know what, I'm going to throw this triangle up. I'm going to close it out here. Like now here's what happens. I throw up a triangle on you. It's close. It's good. But you hit that little wrestler shrug by you pass my guard. How yeah. many did you score? You scored three, but I scored three. So, so it's a wash. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So it may, it would make those moments more active and more aggressive. I'm going to throw my triangle up because even if you do slip out, as long as, as long as I put it on you, there's going to be no movement in the score after you pass my guard. I got three for my attempt. You got three for your pass and we are where we are. Yeah. You know, so it, it's just all incentives for me. That, that's, that's all it is. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I'm not, so, I, for the record, I'm not totally sure it's awesome. It's just, I, I've been, I've been studying so much jujitsu and watching all these matches with all these different rule sets. The point where I got to be like, what, what are the rules in this match that I'm studying right now? Like, what, mm -hmm. what, what, what can they do? And it's just so segmented and it's so ununified. And I'm just like, I, yeah, it's, I don't, it just feels very disorganized. It's, I don't know how you're going to get away with, get away from that because there's so many different, uh, organizations and everybody thinks that their rule set's the best, right? So I can't, God, really? I can't imagine that they think that. Do they really think that? I don't know. I, I would like to think probably, that they, I, well, they probably, they probably like, maybe they do have a understanding that, okay, my rule set isn't the best, but I'm not going to do what he's doing. I'm going to do what I'm doing, right? Even though they're going to uh, take some of the things that other people do, like, you know, a lot, everybody, you know, follows the, IBGJF to a certain extent, but then they're like, ah, well, I don't like this rule. I'm going to change it. You yeah. know, um, you're right. But, you're right about that. You know, but, uh, and then there's people who just like, like we've said before, just throw all it out. So going back to, I find all this very interesting because you, you make me want to like put together a tournament, but, uh, not that I would, that, but I, I ju just, as a note, that is precisely what I aim to do. Okay. Um, not, not that I'm going to, you know, change anything worldwide. I'm not, but yeah, I just, um, I think it'd be cool to, to put on some type of uh, competition or some type of fight card. But, and again, people try to do this. They try to put these fight cards together. And then I go, what's the rule set? And I go, you know, they'll tell me what the rule set is. And I'm just like, oh. <laughs> you know. well, I mean, it's just like, uh, the, you know, all these other combat sports, there's boxing, there's kickboxing, there's Muay Thai, there's all these, you know, and then like, Oh, you're in Japan. You can't elbow or something right it's just like what you can't you can't elbow it's just like yeah you, you can't elbow you, you can only do this or whatever and yeah. like uh i think one of the weirder things not to veer off topic but like the 
Muay Thai rule set right now is they score heavily for the people who do the, all the tripping and stuff. So you see oh, a lot, you see a lot more like of the tripping and the throwing than you used to, I don't know, 20 years ago. And I was just like, what happened? Like why, you know, also there's other cool things that they incentivize the elbows and knees and stuff and strong kicks. And like those, those things are, you know, high on the list, but you know, some of these people, they'll, they won't, you know, they won't engage with you in the clinch. They'll just throw you and, you know, they, they get favorable scoring for that. Okay. Sure. So, you know, just like uh, more examples of people gaming the system, but. And again, I just, I just think you have to, you just have to, you have to center everything around a set of incentives, you know, awarding takedowns heavily and, you know, like going after submissions. I mean, why are, why are wrestlers doing so well in MMA? It's because the incentives, the incentives in high level wrestling, they're, they're just congruent with the incentives in mixed martial arts, right? In wrestling, you want to get on top and you want to control position. That just works so well for a fight. Yeah. You know what I mean? It works so well. Now, if you get a wrestler who's never seen submissions before, they're going to get tapped. You know, and we've seen that. They do get tapped. I just, I think jujitsu should just look a lot more like wrestling. And, and it could. If we just change the incentives, we change the, the points and the rule structure a little bit, then you're basically going to have, you know, you're basically going to have like submission wrestling. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just, uh, as you can see, my thoughts on this are not like totally fully formed in a lot of ways, but I just, I, I worry with, with, with some of the rule sets that I see and some of the styles that I see that our sport is going to look like point karate in like 10 or 20 years. You know what I mean? Yeah. Long, yeah. long, long term. Not, not, not right. Not right just yet. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I agree. Uh, I'm, I'm afraid of that too. I'm afraid of all the things that come with that point karate McDojo stuff. Because you're going to have watered down black belts and techniques and you're going to have, you know, you're going to have a, a weird scoring system for tournaments. It's just going to, it's going to be very odd. But I mean, uh, maybe that's what people were saying 20 years ago. And, and you know, jujitsu still seems to be doing fine. You, you got some, you know, you got plenty of wacky players that can do really, you know, crazy stuff at high levels. But mm. still, you know, I don't think it's gotten that bad. I would like to think that in a self-defense situation, because again, this is what we're talking about a little bit, that someone would not pull guard, you know, uh, God forbid someone tries to pull guard, you know, you, we've all seen the memes where guys try to pull guard in a self-defense situation. It's funny, but God forbid that they gotten so used to pulling guard that in, in the middle of a fight, they, they without thinking pull guard and then they get horribly smashed. I would, I would just, I would say that I'm really not even, this might sound kind of wacky, but I'm really not even concerned about somebody pulling guard in MMA or in a self-defense situation, as long as they're, as long as they're training and the incentives are, are sort of all lined up for the aggression of a fight. Like what you don't want is you don't want somebody to pull guard and then do this sort of, um, there's a, there's a, there's a style with some of these longer formats where it's a lot of waiting on the bottom and a lot of setting up and a lot of wearing the person down on top, basically from a punching distance. So you have like, you have these open guard styles where you've got De La Hiva and reverse De La Hiva, which could absolutely work in a fight if they're trained properly and the timing is right. But 
you'll you'll see people just i mean so if anybody wants a frame of reference for what i'm babbling about check out um check out uh mika galvao and ty rutulo and you'll you'll see you'll see the type of back and forth guard pass and guard play style that i'm talking about that would that would just never really translate to mma Mm. And it's not the techniques that they're doing. It's more, it's like the distance at which they're doing them and the pace at which they're doing them. Like I think, I think a Baron Bolo to the back or, or a kiss of the dragon, like reverse daily Heva spin, those movements can absolutely work in a fight, but not the way that they're currently like paced out in some of these matches, you know, mm. like you have a 30 minute at submission only match, which I think is absolute trash, just garbage. I mean, you have to be a psycho to watch that for a half hour. <laughs> oh, I, re- I really, I re- if I, if I'm not sounding like I hate it, just let me just say again, I just really hate it. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, that, that match respect to those guys, cause they're incredible athletes, but that match is 20 minutes of, you know, awful wrestling. And, and then maybe another 10 minutes of this just sort of. So you have, there's a couple of things I wanted to, like you were riffing on that I want to, kind of jump Please. back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. R- but, rain me in here a little bit. Yeah. No, but like uh you're talking about like a top heavy game with the wrestling. Uh I know it's not exactly what you're looking for because one of the beauties about jujitsu is that the guy in the bottom can still attack. The guy in the bottom, given the right position, can can, you know, put a person in the guard and then try a submission attempt, right? But hundred oh, percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but like the the incentive for wrestlers is to, like you said, have a top heavy game. There's all these pinning positions from the top. You get scoring. You, you're scoring for those pinning positions. Sure. The guy in the bottom doesn't really get any kind of score unless he gets out from underneath of the guy and then makes his own attempts at pinning and taking down and all that other stuff. But we're saying we're saying just to be clear in sport jujitsu or in in, in, in um, regular folk style wrestling, just to be exact. Oh, sure. Sure. sure, know, sure. So it's a top heavy game. There's no incentive for the guy in the bottom uh, to to do any kind of attacks because there isn't any attacks in the system. The only way they can score is if they come up on top and make their own submissions uh, or make their own attempts at pinning sure. and takedowns and stuff like that in jujitsu. The guy in the bottom can still win. You can throw up a triangle. You can throw an armbar from the guard, whatever. Uh, the, uh, yes. You know, yes, so yes. like, uh, like you wouldn't incentivize any of the attacks in the bottom then, you know, other than submission attempts. No, no, I, I definitely would. I guess what I'm saying is, like, so my rule set, or my rule set, just the idea of say like first top position mm-hmm. is if you like. So let's say let's say these are the rules, and you've got a competition coming up, and you you're going to pull guard uh-huh. like you you're going to say fuck the two i'm going to give it up because my guard is so good and i'm just <laughs> i'm just going to go win anyway so like you have to think about like what your training has to look like then yeah given that incentive structure and given the, those rules your training has to be hyper aggressive very sweep and very submission oriented you know sweep so you can get on top and score you know remember when you, if you sweep from close guard it's two points for your sweep but often four points for the mount position if and when you land there um and then and if you land in a guard position you've got all these these incentives to pass the legs so you can score additionally but like you just won't have you know like i'm sure you've rolled with guys before where they they're in bottom close guard and then this person who probably means well but drives me insane we'll put like one hand behind their head like this and then they're kind of like 
play a little cross sleeve game a little bit here. Maybe they'll put both hands behind their head for a second. You don't see that in my training room because I would be livid if I saw people doing that. <laughs> Not just because of the fact that, in, you know, this is sort of a lazy jujitsu habit to sit like this with both, both hands folded behind your head. Yeah. But if I have a blue belt in my top closed guard and that blue belt sits up for more than a second, my brain goes, this guy could be hitting you in the face right now. Like mm. this guy could be punching you in the face right now. Not only that, but also a person who's sitting up with full posture is much, 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 much harder to attack than somebody who you've broken down at the crown of the head. Yeah. Right. Um, so no, I think, I think this, I think this rule set um, docking people two points for bottom position, it's going to make, it's going to let fire under, under people's asses to sweep and submit and be, be highly aggressive with uh, with their attacks that's how i would approach it mm -hmm. um as somebody i do love guard as somebody who loves guard if i was going to pull understanding that i was going to i was going to be down two points man i like i'm going to have a motor down there you know mm, there's not going to yeah. be there's going to be no casual training from bottom close guard or bottom whatever guard because the incentive structure is not there i want to ask i don't want to again like i, I want to keep going on the uh point system that you're creating for, yeah, your, for no, the tournament linger linger but please one of the things i wanted to ask you is uh combat jujitsu eddie bravo's mm -hmm. combat jujitsu nonsense or i shouldn't call it nonsense, nonsense. But <laughs> i don't want to call it nonsense but sometimes i see stuff and i'm like i don't know if that's jujitsu anymore but um <laughs> i take that back i don't mean nonsense uh but like uh what do you think of that like that you're cool man you're cool He's trying. No, no, I'm, I'm apologizing to Eddie Bravo because <laughs> he listens to his podcast. Anyway, um, uh, I'm sure he'll. Yeah, no, he does. I know. <laughs> so uh, I, I see. I see where you're going. I, I see where you're going. I think you're, you're about to make a good point. Go ahead. Yeah. So, like, uh, you know, the the whole reason for combat jujitsu is so that it keeps the guy on the bottom working, right? Or everybody's working, right? You you don't want to sit there, yeah. but it's also to create opportunity for more submissions right that was that's part yeah. of what he was saying the other thing is too is it's like it makes it a little more realistic because there's the danger of being smacked right because that's what yeah, they're doing sure. they're just smacking each other sure. uh do you like that rule system i personally don't like them uh because yeah, yeah. i've seen those guys like not really smack each other they they they're basically punching each other they are and, they are. and it and at that point, it's just like it's it's MMA, you know. Um, right, right, right. But it's not jujitsu. And as fun as that is, because it it looks hella fun, I yeah. more than once wanted to kind of participate in that, that kind of rule set. Yeah. But it's it's different. It's you're it's you're, still, you're still gonna you're still gonna get a concussion. Yeah. Yeah. It, no, you. I mean, you said it. It's um, it's just MMA with sort of a modified fist. Is really what it is, and then obviously you can't. I believe the rule is you can't strike until you're until you're on the ground, right? Oh wow! Yeah. So there, so from the feet, you're not allowed. At least last I was aware of the rule set, you you're not allowed to strike from the feet. It's basically wrestling on the feet, and then once somebody's ass hits the mat, those palm strikes are allowed. And um, I would just say, go ahead and look at the dynamics of what happens in the ground during one of those matches versus what happens on the ground during like a thirty minute submission only match it's going to look like two totally different things. And if I had to decide which set of athletes to put into the UFC, of course it would be Eddie's, you know, combat jujitsu athletes, because they just, they have a totally different set of incentives. They have a totally different set of uh, fears and dangers. And, you know, I mean, yeah, it's, that's, that's a no brainer for me. Now, do I, do I enjoy that event? 
No, I mean I just watch MMA. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. I don't know why I would watch. I don't know why I would watch that. You know what I mean? I know I would just watch mixed martial arts. You know? Yeah. It's I, like, do know, I want to watch? Do I want to watch kickboxing where you can't? You know, you can't wrestle and you can't take people down. No, I'll just watch MMA. Like, for me, for me, like for me, everything goes back to MMA. You yeah. know what I mean? I do have a soft spot for jujitsu, but like I said, I want to see. I still I want to see jujitsu do really well in MMA. And I, I still want Rogan to send me new students. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, when, now that you said, now that you bring that up, I, I don't think I've ever watched the whole fight all the way through one of those combat jujitsu things. Yeah, I always you just look, turn on, you just turn on the UFC. That's why. Yeah, well, I, I think so. That makes sense. I mean, I mean, I, I see it. I see it coming through like my stream or whatever. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. None of it ever makes me think, oh, you know, I should look that fight up. You know, yeah, I always look right. at it. And I'm like, oh, Why? that's that's crazy. You know, yeah, um, you go, that's interesting, but not that interesting. That's what you, that's what you're doing. <laughs> basically, yeah. I, I I think it's wild, you know. But I'm like, eh, you know, they're just smacking each other for the whole round, you know, because that's what it seems like to me. And again, I I'm probably really uneducated in terms of the combat the combat jujitsu strategy. But I, I, I just see dude getting on top and then smacking someone. And I'm like, oh, this, you know, yeah, like you said, I'll just watch MMA. I have my students once or once or twice a year. And it's not enough because people, it really is an eye opener. But we'll pull out, um, I've got a giant tub of uh, MMA training gloves. And we pull, we'll pull the gloves out. And I explain to everybody, like, look, we're not even going to be hitting each other hard. Like these gloves, you're wearing these gloves so you don't accidentally cut somebody with your knuckles. Like that's the only... I'm not pulling these gloves out so you guys can hit each other hard. So you're literally just tapping each other in the forehead with these gloves. And um, the rounds are two minutes, two minutes long yeah. oftentimes because people just can't even handle more than two minutes. Um, but it's, it's obvious which guard styles favor strikes and, and play a different guard style where they're like, wow, you know, um, I have, they basically say like, I have some terrible habits. You know, I have some really bad habits that I need to patch up. My idea of like distance management is totally whacked out. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see people react to that. Yeah, I like I I like that idea. You know, there's I've been at schools where they do that. They'll throw on the gloves and be like, hey, okay, let's let's make it entertaining today. Here, everybody, uh, go ahead and and pop each other. I uh, it really does change the way you look at it because, yeah, you're right. There's people develop bad habits or sometimes people as good habits as they may have don't realize, Oh, you know, I have a hole here. You know, there's something here that I shouldn't be doing that I didn't realize it was making me open for an attack in this fashion. And it could, you know, make a lot of difference in terms of an actual, you know, again, self-defense, not that we're talking about exactly that anymore, but so going back to the hurricane tournament, what, what would you call the tournament? First off, Oh, I have no idea. I don't know. I don't think I'd ever really want to, want to run a tournament so not much as I would like to sort of pay tribute to what I think was sort of the best format for grappling, which is like uh, fight to win pro, vintage fight to win pro. I'm saying that because I've, I've heard that they've changed some of their rules. I don't know if that's true, but fight to win pro like pre-COVID uh, when they were sort of traveling the country, I would like to do something like that. I would like to do where there's a, where there's a, like an actual eight to 10 match card uh where you've got athletes of, of various weights and various skill levels you have three judges and then you have a reasonable time limit you know like i said these these 20 30 40 minute matches i just think i think some of the jujitsu displayed in that long of a time frame is just 
it's just it just doesn't look like anything that resembles combat in certain circumstances. I mean, you could you could you could lay on the bottom and on bottom mount for five minutes and just get your breath back if you're exhausted. Just tuck your elbows in, hide your neck. You know, especially if it's no gi, it's hard to submit people from there. And you can just kind of recover for a few minutes while while a person's sitting on top of you. That drives me crazy. So, you know, like, yeah, uh, three judges, maybe an eight minute time window is good. If you really want to stretch it out, you can go to 10, but I mean, you can really get, you can get a good idea of who's better in eight minutes. I think five is short. Five's definitely too short. You know, people are just sort of getting, getting going around the four to five minute mark, eight, nine, 10 minutes is good. And um, yeah, I mean, I just think, I think I'd like to have a fight card like that where there aren't even any points Yeah, and it's just three judges and those three judges uh, conceivably would be brown or black belts, people who have a lot of experience watching jujitsu. And those three people decide who the better grappler was during those eight, nine, 10 minutes. Very rare that I've, that I've seen that go the wrong way. It's very rare that, that you see anybody sort of game that. I mean, it's almost always the better grappler in that time period who gets the, gets the decision. At least that's what I find. I'm sure there's cases where that, you know, that didn't happen. Yeah, I'm sure that that'll happen because I mean, judge, judging as you see in the UFC sometimes gets screwy, even boxing and all this stuff. Yeah. You, there's always bad decisions that that happens. It does, sure. But um, but when that happens, usually the the people involved weren't really you know practitioners or really understood the sport that they're judging, mm-hmm. which makes me nuts. But like what you're yeah. proposing is that you have actual skilled judges black belt judges uh judging the thing and and i think that so long as that is in place and done correctly i think that's a great idea because one of my worries would be oh you have and of course you watch for this you know but oh this guy he's affiliated to that guy who's affiliated to that guy and that guy is his fighter and he's up there and he's judging so like there's a conflict of interest there Uh, i would like to think that all that is handled but you know, even in these big organizations, that is not always handled uh, correctly. But right, you get into some subjectivity uh, for sure there. And if we were going to do an event, I would make it so at least for the first event, we would have none of my athletes participating, just so we could do like a proof of concept. You know what I mean? You wouldn't it's have just a, any of your students participate. No, no, because 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 of the conflict of interest and the bias that you that you highlighted there. You know, just for the first one, the proof of concept. Just to prove that we could put on just a simple, well-executed event. Yeah, I would say, which is, I would just leave off all Hurricane students because you know I'd be a judge conceivably or a referee, and uh, you know maybe a couple of my a couple of my guys would ref. Yeah, you know, just to show that it could be done and that it's worth doing. Yeah, and this is mostly for fun. I mean, I, I mean, I'm not just not where I make my money. So yeah, um, it no. would just be for for the love of the game, you know. Yeah, and I, I like what you're talking about. I think it's cool. It, it makes things easier, even for the fighter. The fighter doesn't have to think about like, oh, do I, did I score a point there? Am I doing this right? Should I, I got to do this. And in that particular scenario, the guy, all he has to do is win, right? Yeah. And think about like, if you're participating in one of those tournaments, I mean, just think about like, think about your, your incentives. I mean, what are, what are the judges looking for? From the feet, they're probably looking for some nice, beautiful takedowns, you know, or if you are going to pull guard, like you're, you're really, you don't have the luxury of time to sit and just noodle around. I mean, if you have a seven or eight minute window, you're going to sit and you're going to get right to work with some really impressive submission attempts, some sweep attempts. You get on top, you try to pass, but both the athletes in that situation are incentivized to just 
do the best grappling that they can possibly do, you know, given their, their skill set. This might sound goofy, but I would even normalize ties, like a tie, because nobody wants to tie, right? And so you get into these, nobody wants to tie. So like when you're I talking feel, about tying, you're talking about like when they stand up and they clinch, they grab each other. No, and no, clinch. no, 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 no. I'm talking about a tie score. I'm talking about oh, like, a tie score. Okay. So, so in fight to win pro, just as an example, maybe to clarify my point, uh, they could raise a blue flag or a red flag, you know, give whatever color athlete. I would create a third option where you do not raise a flag. So if you have two judges, they don't raise their flags because they're like, neither of these idiots did anything, you know, <laughs> uh, then that, then that makes the athletes look really bad. It's basically like a double DQ, you know? Mm. So, and then also like, and if it was the case that both, both athletes were just in a flurry, I've seen these at fight to win pro where it's like, man, I don't know who won. This guy went for a sub, that guy went for a sub. This dude hit a takedown, but this guy hit a crazy sweep to an almost back take. It's like, you don't want somebody to walk away with an L in a match that's that even like you, we, we should be able to say like, man, that was so goddamn close. But let's just like, let's just give these guys the respect of saying like, you get, you guys neutralized each other. You know, mm. I think that should be normalized. And like, if the fans don't like it, it's like, well, come on. Like you, do you want the refs to just guess? You know? <laughs> yeah. And then no matter when it's close, no matter who wins, everybody, <laughs> someone's going to be pissed off. Like everybody's going to be like, Oh well, no, that's not how I saw it. And that yeah. that's always the case when, when it comes, when it's really close like that. I just think like, I would just say that I just think we need to, I think the organizations, the biggest organizations in the world right now, look at the IBJJF, look at EBI, look at fight to win. They need to step back and really need to go like, what, like what type of grappling, like, do we want to incentivize? What do we want it to look like? And how should our rules be written based on that vision? And I, I just don't know if a lot of organizations are doing that. Now, the IBJJF, they got a little scared by all of these other organizations normalizing leg locks and heel hooks. You know, you've got ADCC to where it's like nobody really gave a shit who won the Nogi Worlds anymore because that person was not really the Nogi World Champion. They weren't. Like, they were the Nogi World Champion minus leg locks. And so under that pressure under that incentive of like, look, we want to be recognized as the organization who's got the best Nogi grappling athletes. They finally, after so many years, normalize and legalize reaps and heel hooks and, and all of these leg entanglements that I think should be normalized in the sport at nearly all levels. They, they did it, you know, but they did it under tremendous pressure of, of just basically becoming irrelevant. You know, they didn't do it for the love of the game. And uh, maybe leads to a different topic. You want to talk about leg locks last time. Uh, it's kind of the perfect segue. I would like to see the reap and the heel hook introduced in, in the gi at various levels. I mentioned this before and you kind of like cackled at me a little bit. I thought um, it was, I, I still think it's a little nuts only because I, uh, I, you can't yeah, slip yeah. out as, but I mean, yeah, and I've, like I said before, like you can't slip out of it because there's so much drag. The the pants yeah, sure. the, the, you can't slip out. So you got to tap. You got to tap. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, it, you know, I thought about that too. It's just like uh, you know, it's just uh, yeah. You just teach people to, to learn how to deal with it, and the only way you're going to learn is exposure, right? So yeah. you put it in the training room, and you tell people to be careful, and and uh, you do that. But one thing that I picked up, and you kind of alluded to a little bit, or pretty much pointed out the last time we spoke was when it comes to leg locks, you want to give people a slow 
or just in general, you want to give people a slow tap. Uh, you hold on to the position, you let them know it's coming. And if, you know, if they can't get out, they tap. And if they manage to get out and you knew you had it, it's fine. You know, you still yeah. have a partner. One of the things I learned about training leg locks was if you don't have a good leg entanglement, uh, you shouldn't be trying for the submission. If the guy is kind of loose in your entanglement, mm-hmm. you throw him a double outside Ashi or whatever, and you you got these guys tangled up and they're standing up, you did a bad job of holding on to the legs. Uh, that doesn't mean you're in a position to throw on the leg. That's That's just... I think what happened, especially with some of the people I was training, I thought I could get out and he was attacking. And so while I was trying to get out, he attacked and popped my knee. Uh, Uh, I think if he would have held on to me and made it pretty evident I wasn't going to get out and then threw on the Lee Hill hook, I would have tapped. That wouldn't have happened. And it's pretty much what you're saying about making sure you give them an opportunity to tap. What are other little ideas that you do in terms of like training leg locks in terms of like safety or safety. Um, yeah. I think that's really the big one. And that seems to get harder for people, the more competitive the round gets. So if, if I'm going against, you know, somebody who's really, really, let's just say below my level where I can, I can pretty much do what I want. It's very easy for me to give that person a free count because I don't have a lot of skin in the game in terms of like, I really want to beat this guy. I'm feeling really competitive. My ego does not get brought into the picture. Right. Where you see guys get hurt more, I think, is when both people want to win very badly. Then you see that three count turn into a very, very, very quick three count. (laughs) One, two, three. Yeah, 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 (laughs) exactly. And that, and again, like the, I think the ego injures people more than anything. I'm just finding that to be truer and truer and truer the longer I train. So if I'm going against a purple belt or a brown belt or another black belt and I'm rolling competitively, which you should not always do. We'll talk about that a little bit. I, uh, I, st- I still really do my best to give, to give those guys the three count. I was rolling with a purple belt the other day and I got him in a knee bar. It was dead to rights. I had it. Like it was straight leg locked in, but I did my usual, like I'm going to finish this on a very controlled gradient. And he put a bend in his knee and uh, moved out of the position. That's just a moment that you have to, you just have to accept that that's going to happen if you train this way. And again, it just comes down to ego. Like how bad do you want to tap this person versus how, how much do you care about keeping them safe? And those two things are always at odds, the bigger and bigger, the more and more the ego gets brought into the role, you know, but I feel like I've, I've exercised that mode of training enough to where like, I really don't care anymore. When guys leave my, my slow submission, when I go to a tournament, I'll take it as fast as I want. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to hurt anybody, but I'm also trying to decisively win the match when I get a submission training room. I'm just not that I, I'm not that way. So when it comes so. to, so like when you're getting ready for competition, yeah. do you still keep that mindset? Yeah. Cause I could see I that yeah. relaxed yeah. mindset easily be kept when you're yeah. just training yeah. off season, I guess you can call it when you're yeah. not, yeah. when you're not in tournament mode. Uh, yeah. I, I would, I would think that it would be a little <laughs> harder to keep that in focus when you're, when you're getting ready for, for a tournament. So I would say if it's a choke, you know, you're not really going to injure anybody by squeezing a choke a little harder and faster, right? Generally speaking. So the chokes, you can still, you can pretty much train a full clip. But if it's something like like a major joint, like a knee or a, um, you know, an ankle or a shoulder, like a strong Kimura. Yeah, this is just like a rule. I don't care if like the up and coming blue belt 
wiggles out of my arm lock because I was giving him a long time to escape. Like, I just don't, I don't care. It's like trying to knock people out in, in boxing sparring. If I owned a boxing gym, I would never try to knock anybody out. I'm not trying to give my partners brain damage, but yeah. I would just, you would just have to flip that, that switch when you go into a match, you know? Yeah. And, and there are gyms where, where guys get knocked out or it, there used to be, I don't know if it's like that anymore, but there was a time where people would be like, okay, we're training for fights. We're knocking each other out. You know? Yeah. It's, I don't think nuts. that's, <laughs> I don't think that's wise, uh, <laughs> but, but I've never done that type of fight training. So I wouldn't even speak to it. I, all, all I can say is like training with grappling. It seems that you can, you can leave that piece out that I'm going to finish this arm lock as fast as possible on my training partner. I feel like you can leave that, that piece out. And you can still be, you can still be a very complete, complete grappler when you, when you get to the, the competition. Yeah. Um, and I, I would, I would also say that I, I would break, I break submissions down into, into two categories. I've never, maybe another coach has done this by a different name, but I've got, um, so two sets, one is submissions, which would be a nice, like an arm lock from a very controlled spider web, triangle choke from the closed guard. These are submissions. And then you've got these, this other set of finishes that I would consider catches. Catches for me would be any submission that is time-based in terms of its control. So let's say that I'm standing in your open guard and I don't control your hip. I don't control your knee line, but I grab a heel hook grip on your foot and I twist it faster than you can roll with it. Uh. Right. I'm still going to injure you. I'm still going to put you in enough discomfort or pain where you have to tap. But it's to me, that's a catch because it's time-based because if I did it slowly, you would have time to roll effortlessly with it and then ultimately out of it. Certain wrist locks fall into this category. Do, do you understand the concept though? Absolutely. Uh, I forget okay. the name of the grappler. Uh, Sanchez something was sparring once with, with an MMA guy. And the guy was just trying, I can't remember this guy's name. Anyway, this guy was standing with this MMA guy. They had like a little bit of a beef. I guess they were mm -hmm. joking and it got a little heated between them. Right. Right. And uh, he got some kind of like overhook and then cranked his arm. And, oh, I know uh, exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. 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 And so do you know the name of the guys that I'm talking about? What you're talking about is the technique. I mean, you, oh, what okay. you're talking about is the old school, over, the overhook bent shoulder lock, like the, the Frank Mir lock. That, yeah. he, that he did against, I think, Trey Teligman, um, where you're basically overhooking the person at the elbow and then you're internally rotating your arm. So their arm twists out like this, yeah. like, a, like, a, like a hello motion. Most famously, John Jones did that to Glover Teixeira. And, yes. and I believe their title fight, he did it up against the cage. And again, you can see how time-based this movement is because the way he did it to, Club, to Glover was a quick jerk and immediately tore something in Glover's uh, shoulder or elbow. Now, in the training room, this movement is very difficult to execute because if you do it slow enough, the person can usually sort of wizard down. Uh, maybe that's the wrong terminology. It can basically rotate their arm down and turn it, and they can turn that, that bent lock into their own underhook. Mm. So if you do it slowly, which I do all the time, I'll, I catch these from standing a lot. If a guy tries to punch in like a shallow underhook on me, I'll hit that mirror lock from standing all the time. But I lose it nearly every time I execute it, almost every time, because I'm giving the person a long three count, a long time to, to tap. And I'm making eye contact the whole time. So I have it locked and I'm looking at your face. I'm looking for a wince yeah. because if guys, if guys wince, I'll often let it go because mm. the wince comes right before the pop. 
Mm. You know what I mean? And I'm like, I'm not, I can tell when I've almost got you and I don't need it to be final because I don't give a shit. You yeah. know what I mean? The way you say it is, is like, I'm looking at you while I'm doing this. And I'm like, oh, you right. to, you're intimidating them as you're cranking that arm. No, and... no, 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 I, I, no. <laughs> No, so just let, me ta- but let me tell you why. Let me tell you why that one particularly sticks in my memory. My brother came in to train with me one time uh, and he, he's like, he's been training with me on and off for like 15 years. It's like never got a blue belt or anything, but, <laughs> he, you know, but he like, he knows enough to like, you know, handle himself, but also like very competitive, very athletic. And he, you know, he punched an underhook on me and I, I hit him with that. And I, it's my brother. So I gave him like a, five count you know what i mean I was like, <laughs> and, and and he put this motherfucker he poker faced me and he poker faced me and then all of a sudden i hear something that's like a curtain ripping Ooh. and i was like I, I go i'm like hey i'm like yo 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 and he's like he's like he's like he's like that was weird he's like i don't know he's like it didn't really hurt and i go dude i go man i i, I go i was watching your face and i was and I was going really, really, really slow. And I didn't think that was even hurting you yet. And he, you know, he was he poker face me. Yeah. And he, he couldn't move his arm right for six months after that. You know what, what? I mean? It's like now, so now, <laughs> like now that one, like I lose that one every time I train now because I take it so slow. You know? uh, what did your parents <laughs> say to you about that? Uh, we didn't, we didn't bring that up, <laughs> <laughs> but I felt really bad about that. Oh yeah, man. Out. That, that really sucks, man. Oh, man. And it's your brother too, right? So it's just- like- That's what I'm saying. I almost not like, it was not like big brother syndrome where I was trying to go hard. Like I always take care of him when, when we train. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Like, but it was just one of those things where it's like that stuck in my mind. Like, dude, I never hurt people in the gym. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not the guy who ever hurts anybody, but I hurt him because like, I just thought he had more slack than he had, but he just was doing such a good job of like not letting on. You know, yeah. that it was hurting. I was like, oh, okay, well, shit. Yeah, this is one of the reasons why I've let go of, of submissions too. It's just like, okay, this is weird. You're so rubbery. You're kind of creepy with this. You know, like we I'm talking about that. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah, gonna let this go. That. You you you're scaring me. You know, <laughs> you shouldn't be this flexible. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, no, just to bring it all full circle. Um, no, I just think I think giving people, I don't think leg locks are actually as dangerous as people used to paint them historically i think a lot of that like oh it's so dangerous like a lot of the, the old school brazilian guys like so dangerous very dangerous it's like um, i think sometimes you guys have a little bit of ego about the fact that like somebody's just grabbing your foot and tapping you out it's really not that dangerous like for reasons i don't totally understand like you don't feel like it's a valid submission and you're not tapping to it as readily as you should yeah but I don't really think they're, I don't think they're any more as dangerous as some of the upper body locks that we have. The Kimuras, the Americanas, the Omoplata. I mean, Jesus Christ, you've got all of their body weight latched onto your elbow, cranking on your shoulder. You don't think that's dangerous? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't get it. It seems dangerous. I, I think uh, a lot of it is more of what we're talking about in terms of, oh, you know, they don't want to learn something new. Yeah. Uh, and when they see this, they don't know how to deal with it and people get hurt and they don't understand how to defend it. They can't teach the students. And rather than learn something new, they say, oh, well, don't don't learn that. That's, yeah, that's dangerous. Yeah, yeah. And you condemn it, it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. And so it just makes things worse. Right. Because now you have a whole you, you have your students going to these competitions with people who are practicing these things. And that's how people get hurt now. But uh, I think especially nowadays that it has really, really changed. I think there was a mentality at one point where learning from multiple sources was condemned. Uh, that has changed. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. That's, yeah, that, that's dead. 
That's yeah, so I like to think it is. Uh, there's still some people who hold on to that a little bit. Uh, I've seen them. Mm. For the most part, I, I, I like to think that, that what we're talking about is, is dead. I was saying that I, I think it's more important now than ever to have like, like a centralized uh, you know, teacher, instructor, because of the just ridiculous ocean of knowledge out there. It's almost like, I think for a while, people were like, oh, you're not going to need jujitsu schools anymore because you could just learn from YouTube. But come to find that learning from YouTube is, is nearly impossible because yeah. there is just, there's so much garbage mixed in with so much good content that you need somebody to like sort of put the curriculum together and like vet out what's good and what's not. It's actually made my job, I think, more important and more relevant than it, than it was years ago. Yeah. I think that's a great point because one of the things that I thought about in terms of that statement where you don't need jujitsu schools anymore, I said, I always said, no, you still need a body to practice with. You still need the contact. You still need to know how these things feel like. And mm -hmm. sure, you know how to throw on, you know, triangle, but you don't know how to, you don't know what it feels like. You don't know when you have it, you know, that takes time, that takes practice. You need a fellow practitioner to help you learn it. But I never thought about the aspect that you're talking about you need someone to kind of cull the knowledge and, and put it in, in a useful format for everyone to use and learn. Yeah, it does make your job way more important because there is a lot of shit out there. There's a lot of stuff out there. Oceans. There's oceans upon oceans. I mean, you could just, you could totally get lost, you know? Yeah. Jesus Christ. So <laughs> then when you put the curriculum together, do you, are you thinking like, is this going to make my students well-rounded or am I teaching my game? Yeah. Right. Both. I don't think you can get away from teaching your game. People tend to teach what they do best. You know what I mean? But the advantage I have is that I've got, I've got four other, uh, four other adult class instructors, main instructors who have very different styles than me. Chris is one of our black belt instructors. And he's just as, as an example, he's primarily a kneeling passer. He passes low from both knees. I can't think of a single pass I teach from both knees aside from being in like top closed guard. We break the guard open, but I'm, I'm a standing passer and most of modern jujitsu is standing passes, but he, he does a really exceptional job passing from his knees. So my students get an infusion of his style. And then we've got Darla who probably has, she's probably got the most similar style to me. We've got Travis who is very much like, on the cutting edge, the modern of the modern of the modern. So people will get, you know, they'll, they'll get that style infusion. And then Dan Sweeney, who's another one of our black belts, who he tends to go down on, to go down in these, he's basically like micro positional rabbit holes. Uh, he gets like hyper-focused. So his hyper-focus over the past couple of years has been wrestling. You know, re wrestle, I think wrestling in high school, didn't wrestle in college, but he's one of the best wrestlers I've ever trained with just because of his, you know, his match study. And his, uh, his ability to like break down techniques and chains of techniques. Um, and then there's me where, yeah, I've got my game um, and I'm not really exceptional anywhere. I'm just, uh, I've, I've been described as like good everywhere. You know, mm -hmm. I don't like have, I don't have any weak spots. I'm just kind of well-rounded. So all those students get access to like all these different styles. And I think that's part of what, part of what makes what we do work. You know, yeah. it's just like all these, I don't try to make the instructors do what I do and I don't try to make them show what I show. Like I give them a ton, a ton of leeway to just like kind of express themselves. And I, I think it works. I think it's fantastic, man. Cause I mean, you need different looks 
from from your instructors and the fact that you have so many well-informed and, and talented instructors to give all your uh, students a well-rounded experience that's fantastic man because i mean there is that danger right if you have one instructor you just you're just teaching the same thing over and over again you know even if they learn something new it's not going to be a, as a well-rounded game as someone with multiple uh, instructors at the school uh, that's a great point yeah yeah i agree so big question is when are we gonna get you back up here to train oh dude uh so i've been talking to, to rick because i gotta i'm gonna run over there first so i'll probably go uh to rick's sometime in uh, june uh in the middle cool. of june cool. which is we're in june now aren't we <laughs> well not yet. Soon. okay so um one, one more day one more day one, one more day so uh somewhere in the middle of june i'm gonna head over to the ricks and then i'm thinking about july so uh if you cool. got if you got time for me in july i'll, I'll head on over there that'll uh, be, yeah it'll be busy yeah it'll be cool cool i, I just want to make sure that i don't uh, interrupt any of your training or anything uh, <laughs> no man no there's no there's no interrupting I, i'm i'm definitely on a uh, sort of like mellow point in my training right now because we had the we had the chicago open a couple weeks ago and then we had i took my team to grappling industries this past weekend or uh, i don't know I'm losing track of time. The reason I'm losing track of time is because my wife, she just had her knee replaced. Oh, um, yeah. And so I, I'm sort of grounded for a little while. So like my training has been like definitely a lot more, a lot more casual, trying not to get hurt, trying to put myself in bad positions. Cause like, she's, you know, she's kind of like limping around the house and I can't be limping around the house at the same time. So like <laughs> I've been trying to like really, really be safe. But yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I'm just kind of in a chill spot for a couple months while she recovers. Oh man. Uh, so. Yeah. That would really suck if both of you guys are hobbling around and, and on crutches and stuff that, that would, Oh man. Yeah, dude. Yeah. I'm trying to, trying to avoid that. Uh, and once she's like kind of like in a more stable place, I'll start thinking about kind of ramping up my training again, training a little harder, uh, maybe putting some competitions on the schedule, but yeah, for right now, man, I'm just, I'm just home teaching for the, for the next couple of months. Like I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not doing anything. So. Oh, okay, cool. Cool. Well, I'm sorry to hear about your wife. Uh, and her surgery yeah no she's she'll, she'll be all right she just uh she's had a few you know she got she got uh, she got hit by a, a garbage truck when she was like i think she was like 19 or 20. oh that's and horrible just, yeah she's like an orthopedic case study like she's had a ton of surgeries uh on her legs oh. um yeah so it's a bummer but yeah we're getting through this one so knee, knee replacement this time which they're supposed to be pretty fantastic the knee replacements are that's what i've heard but also apparently it's very very the rehab sucks which i'm witnessing that right now so how long does she have to go through the rehab uh i it's it's tough because all the timelines are really for like older people you know people who are in their 70s and 80s and 90s getting the knee, their knees replaced I and mean, she's you know she's like 40 43 um and uh you know for somebody like her i mean i think it'll be a lot faster somebody who's younger you know yeah so yeah well, yeah, I mean, hopefully a couple months. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> this, that's, that's one of the things that I'm, I'm super afraid of is good. And it's something that can happen. You know, you get your leg tangled up or you oh, yeah. step the wrong way. You pop your knee. I've seen it at tournaments, guys get trying going for throws and then breaking their own leg or whatever in the process or that whole getting another leg surgery. Cause I've, I got a couple of myself getting on another leg surgery, not being on your feet for maybe another six months to a year. It's just yeah. fucking sucks. I think you can really mitigate like 90% of injuries by training with people you trust. Like, you know, I mean, you can, you can train with savages, but savages that you know are going to like not hurt you 
because they want to win so bad. That's number one, like training with people that you, that you trust to, you know, to not hurt you. That's, that's big. But again, the ego, I mean, I, I think of all the times over the years where like something, something popped or something got strained where I did it. Like I basically did it to myself where I was, tr- I was trying to get away too much. I was fighting too hard. I was, I was, I was resisting when it was already over, you know, yeah. most of the, most of the injuries I've had were that. And then the other injuries were, you know, when I was kind of training with people who were just a little too excited to be rolling with me and they shin me in the head or elbow me in <laughs> el- elbow me in the nose. And that's most of what it is, yeah. you know, bite, bite um, you on the leg. <laughs> pe- people say jujitsu kills the ego. That's uh-huh. bullshit. It's bullshit. No, it doesn't. It, no, it doesn't. No, you know? it doesn't. It, it really doesn't. It, it, you have to keep that sucker in check the whole time because it, it'll pop up. It, at least for me, like my ego will get in my way. And I, I, I hate it. I hate it when, when I am, because sometimes I feel like, oh, you know, I just embarrassed myself. I just made yeah. an ass of myself. I, I hurt this person or I hurt myself or I did something really silly. And uh, if I just, we're a little more chill that this wouldn't happen, you know? So the, the other side of that is like, you, te- like you just tap early and you lose. And then you get into this whole thing of, you don't want this person to think that they got you, you yeah. know, I, you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Right. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> right? um, and I was talking to one of the instructors about this the other day. We were, we were talking about how I don't, I think you can, I think you can, people say like, don't spar every day or don't spar every time you train. And I actually think that you can, especially at a certain level, but I definitely don't spar competitively every single time. And the instructor I was talking to was like, how do you, like, how do you do that? Like, you know, this, this guy like rolls well against you and he passes your guard or he like sweeps you or gets you in like a leg lock or something. Like he thinks he got you. I'm like, I, I'm like, yeah, you know, yeah. They, they think they got me or maybe they don't just not developing the skill of not giving a shit what the person thought about it is like, that's really, that's really the big thing. Yeah. Two weeks out from a tournament, a week out from a tournament, I'm trying to beat everybody. I'm, you know, I'm trying to beat everyone, but right now some rounds or some days I'll try to beat everybody. And then other, other times it's, I'm rolling light or sometimes you roll moderate, you know, it's, I get tapped out all the time. I get my guard passed all the time. I get beat all the time. And I, do I feel compelled to tell the people that I'm not rolling at full clip? I do feel compelled to tell them that. Yeah. Do I tell them that? No, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't because like you just, you have to just that again, it's, it's, that's all ego. Yeah. You know? And it's, it's not like if you try to win every round, every day, every week, every year, you're just not, you're not going to make it through this, this sport for, for yeah. a long time. Yeah. Also know? like, what do you, like, what are you doing too? Like, oh, yeah, you got me, but you didn't get me. You know, this is like everybody's like, all right, all right, buddy, whatever. And I'm like, come on, man. Like, I wasn't ruling yeah. it full clip. So, like, even you trying to explain it doesn't make you look good, right? Like, so you just got to let it go. Well, you got the well, right approach, you know? It's another thing where sometimes people are so good that it's like, if you tried as hard as you could, you'd beat them. But if you explore new positions, even if you're trying hard, if you start exploring new positions, they'll get you. Yeah. You know, and, and again, like as an instructor, as, as an athlete, like that just has to be okay. You don't need to let everybody know how hard you're going all the time. Yeah. You know, it's not a healthy way to train. It'll lead to injury. It'll lead to overtraining. It'll lead to bad habits mentally. It's a thing I think we're, we're probably all working on. 
So, uh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. It, it's funny that you bring this up because I, something in my head, I was rolling with this guy. He got an arm bar. Like he, I, I did something silly. I uh, should have been doing a better job. He got an arm bar. He was like a white belt, right? He got an arm bar. He pulled it out. And I'm like, okay, you, you got me. You won. And, and legit, he legit got me. Like I didn't see it coming. He caught me arm bar. You won white belt. Good job. Right? So I stand up. And he goes, he, he lets go of the arm and he goes, yes. Yeah, sure. sure. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. oh, fuck you, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I was just like, we'll go again. <laughs> you know? You know and, what? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And, I understand. And, it's happened and, to me before. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, come on, man. Like, first of all, this is, you know, like, yeah, I was trying hard. Don't get me wrong. I was trying. But uh, you know, this is not the comp. This is not. This is not a competition. This is the the training room. But whatever, dude. Whatever, you know. So, but he was like, yes, he did. He he was like so proud of himself, you know. But sure, sure. Like he's a white belt, right? Who wouldn't be super proud of themselves being a white belt, tapping out the purple belt, right? Um, yeah, sure. You know, sure. It, it's it's like uh, could have could I have fought it? I don't know. Maybe you know. I, I didn't care to you know at the moment, but now. Like when I tapped, I was like, fuck, I should have hitchhiked. I should have done this. I should have done that. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have gave yeah. him the win. <laughs> I, think, I think he did the right thing. I, I, would, I would also say, you know, there's another side of the coin too. You've got of, uh, of black belts, old school guys who are very, very, very big on keeping it playful all the time. And mm -hmm. I think that's also a mistake. Um, I, think you need I think you need these periods of, of preparation and of peaking intensity. And I think people often emphasize that too much. You know, this is like a, this is very pervasive now, like uh, David Goggins, Jocko, it's just like, nobody cares. Try harder. Yeah. You run into a wall, run through the fucking wall. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know about all that. Um, yeah. But you do, but you need, it, like, it's just like weightlifting. Like you need periodization. Right now, my team's coming off this grappling industries tournament. They did really well. And w the first week back, I go, guys, like we've been so structured. We've had this whole five to six weeks mapped out. Tonight, we're just going to warm up and roll. And tonight when you roll, I want you guys to like feel free to explore new positions, put yourself in some unfamiliar territory. Don't focus so much on beating your partner. Tonight is about like developing new skills, exploring new positions, having fun and abandoning that A game that we've mm -hmm. been sh sharpening for six weeks. Because that six weeks, that was the peak. We peaked before competition. And now you have to periodize. And now you have to like mellow out for a little while, sort of like let the brain and the nervous system and the body reset a little bit. But to say that you should like never roll hard or never roll competitively and always keep it playful. This is also bullshit. You know, yeah. like this is not, that's not good training. You need to peak. You need to mellow. You need to ramp back up. You need to peak. You need to mellow. You have to be on a training cycle, a very organized, like intentional training cycle. I 100% agree with that. Uh, it's kind of how I always trained you know even without thinking about it because uh oh that's good good for you man I, I mean it's just uh you know i always kept it playful but this is from you know just you know training in the martial arts since i was 16 you know th there was always this idea of periodization in past podcasts i asked you about periodization and uh it, it was always something that was part of my training and never really thought about it it's just it just kind of happened because it was always yeah. like, okay, we're, we're, we're sparring and this is just regular sparring. And then there is now there's, there's sparring for, for uh, competition. And this is a new level 
than that. It's a higher sure. level. It's a lot more intense than that. Yeah. Um, I 100% agree because you, you need to keep it interesting, right? And if you keep it at a high level, you're just going to burn people out. People are just going to get sick of training like that all the time. It's too much. Allowing them to relax and have fun and do silly things during yeah. the, you know, during training, this is, yeah. I think, uh, keeps things interesting. I, I agree. I, I would also, I would also admit that that probably blew through black, brown belt training at, at Viana brothers in Chicago, man. I, I mean, every practice I showed up to was like competition night. I mean, I'm like, I was thinking all these guys, like, I'm going to beat, I'm gonna, I, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to beat him tonight. And I got to beat this guy tonight and I got to beat this guy tonight. And then when I roll with him, like I want to make sure I didn't roll too hard with everybody else because I want to have enough gas to really put the nail in this dude's coffin. Like, and then when, <laughs> I, when, when I wouldn't, like when I, when I would practice, when I would practice poorly where I would get tapped out, it would bother me until the next time I saw that person, then I would try to get it back, you know? And for all the things that, that Pedro and Daniel did right, and they, they, they did a lot of stuff right. Those guys were very supportive of that, at least at the time. They were very supportive of that mentality, of that like go to war at every single practice mentality. I mean, maybe they wouldn't tell you that that's what they advocated, but like in practice, that's precisely what it was. It uh -huh. was go to war every Monday practice, every Tuesday practice, every Wednesday practice, every Saturday competition practice would go to war. And I got injured so often, just, <laughs> just, just like, just insisting that I had to win yeah. all the time. And like, for me, that was about as smart as like doing like max bench press Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday. Yeah. It made, it makes about that much sense to, to, to train that way. Yeah. You know, it sounds hardcore and romantic and yeah. all that stuff, but it is not wise, you know? Mm -hmm. No, it's not. I mean, will you level up? Yeah, I, I believe you would level up pretty fast, pretty good. But like, yeah, you, at the expense of your body, right? So I think you I think you level up fa faster through a combination of drilling, specific training and sparring. If you give me 20 training hours in the week, say just for round numbers, and you're like, this group's going to spar for 20 of those hours. This group over here is just going to do like light drills for 20 hours and then this group in the middle is going to like you know spread spread it across drilling specific training and sparring i'm taking that middle group every single time yeah. regardless of like who accumulates injuries like that's that's how you get good yeah you know but like uh how many guys how many guys would actually take the first group where they just spar all the time i mean uh, well that's why you that's why you have a coach who you who you listen to what they tell you yeah. And like that, that for me is key. Like if I have athletes who just listen to what I tell them to do, I will invest in those people, but I'm not, over, I'm not overbearing. If I say yeah. like, look, it's, it's open mat, do what you want to do. Spar yeah. if you want to spar, drill if you want to drill, I'll gravitate toward the guys who split their time between specific training, drilling and sparring because they're actually listening to what I suggested. They're actually like putting faith in me as a coach, as opposed to like just doing what they want to do. You, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. The, that's important to see. Like, people make the investment in you as a coach, and you make the investment back in them. Other people who are just like doing their own thing, I'm like, well, okay. I mean, like, I'm not going to treat you shitty, but like, do do your own thing, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the bare minimum.
you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, why go to an instructor if you're not going to respect what they're teaching, right? Like, well, you, uh, you say you say that, but yeah. I, I mean, I've had the same discussion with my with my strength and conditioning coach, where it's uh-huh. like, why would why would somebody come to you? This very well accredited, very experienced strength and conditioning coach, why would they come to you and then try to write their own prescription for the week right under your nose? Like, why would they do that? And, Neither of us have an answer to that. We're just like, I don't, I don't know. But people yeah. seem to do that, you know? Yeah, it's it's more of the eagle talk, I think. But I just to pay you a compliment, because I know you like these. Uh, I, was, <laughs> I was talking to my wife, and I said, oh, you know, John this, John that. And I was just like, you know, he's in Cleveland. And she's like, we're not moving to Cleveland so that you can <laughs> practice jujitsu. I'm like, oh, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> I was like, it would be great if I could live in Cleveland and then maybe part of the week come home, you know, Ooh, and then it's changed. cost of living is so low here, man. So low. <laughs> My wife was like, you, we are not moving to Cleveland. <laughs> My whole Dude, family like, is here. <laughs> it's like, it's like Chicago with no traffic. <laughs> yeah. Basically what it is. Oh, that's wonderful, man. Yeah. Cause I, I like Chicago. I like the cityscape. I like the city. Uh, I don't like all the, people <laughs> all the there's a lot of people here you know? dude when i roll through there like for the open and i'm dry i'm driving on like 94 and it's backed up for as far as the eye can see i'm like this is not real like this how did how did i how did i live in this environment for as long as i lived here like this is insane yeah it, dude, it, you sit in traffic for two hours and it's like yeah this is normal dude yeah it takes me an hour and a half from here to to work in downtown that is ridiculous. If I were to drive to uh, to uh, Viana Brothers, it would be anywhere between one hour to an hour, I mean one hour forty five to two hours. That's God, and that's like in traffic. Like if there was no traffic, it'd probably take me an hour, maybe less. That's, that's insane. Yeah, but like it's because there isn't a straight route there. I would have to come all the way down from the southwest suburbs around the city and into you know down 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 north but Mm -mm. dude drive time is real you gotta do what you gotta do you know yeah yeah you know it's yeah you gotta do what you gotta do so anything uh you want to mention before we uh we cut out no man um i i always i mean anytime i remember i always just try to give uh a shout out to uh to the people who are who are teaching at my school again like the main instructors travis anderson um Darla Sedlicek, Dan Sweeney, Chris Benezzi. I would just say that I definitely could not run the school uh, the way that we do with, without them. And uh, we always just get compliments about like how, just how good the teaching staff is. And um, they just really make the gym uh, what it is. Uh, so I just always like to give them a shout out when I can. That's awesome, man. I'll make sure to put them in the description too, so that uh, they get tagged yeah. and stuff and they cool. get a little cool. visibility from there. All right, man. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show, man, and, and talking uh, jujitsu again with me. You interested in doing one uh, anytime soon? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'll try to brainstorm a little bit for uh, some hot topics. I feel like I've I feel like I've retreaded the uh, the, the rules uh, many many times. Uh, <laughs> I, should, I should probably lay off that a little bit. Yeah, man. I'm uh, like I said, I could I could talk jujitsu, you know, for a very long time. So yeah. this 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 flew by. We'll do it again soon. Okay. Sweet. All right, man. Thanks so much. The music you're listening to is titled Patron by Don Masilon. And you can find that over at Epidemic Sound. And should you decide to go over to Epidemic Sound, make sure you use my referral link in the description. 
so that they know that I sent you. So yeah, man, as always, John dropping knowledge. I hope to see him soon out there in, in Cleveland because he's got an amazing facility and he's a great instructor. If you happen to live in Cleveland, I would highly advise you go to John because he is a great instructor. He really thinks about jujitsu. And as you heard in the podcast, he does a lot to kind of create a well-rounded curriculum for his students. I really, really recommend you go over to Hurricane Jiu-Jitsu. He has a great staff. I've met all those people he talks about. For all the names that he called out on the show, I will have links for them in the description. Darla, Travis, and everybody else on his team. I'll put all those links in the description so that you can find those guys and follow them on Instagram. Now, if you want to follow John on Instagram, he's great to follow. You can find him on Instagram under the name HurricaneJJ. If you want to take a look at his website, HurricaneJJ.com, there you'll find everything you need to know about his school and him. He's a great instructor and a great student of jiu-jitsu. Now, if you want to follow me, Edgar Otraves, you can find me on Instagram under the name Edgar Otraves, and you can follow the show on Instagram under the name The Flow Roll. And if you like what you heard and you want more, make sure you go over to our website, theflowrollpodcast.com. There you'll find a complete catalog of all our episodes. And like I said earlier in the show, I also have a section where you can find all the podcasts that I have done so far around the subject of jujitsu. It's all jujitsu related podcasts. All the episodes I've done having to do with the subject of jujitsu. Make sure you like, subscribe, comment, and share wherever you get your podcasts at and press all the buttons that make the podcast gods happy. Thank you so much for listening. This is Ergo Traves. Thank you, John, for coming on the show. I will see you soon. This is Ergo Traves. Behave yourselves. Laters.